Welcome to season two of The Retail Tea Break. My name is Melissa Moore, founder of The Retail Advisor. As a consultant, mentor, trainer and lecturer, I enable retailers and makers to reach their potential through sales growth and excellence in customer experience. I'm also your host of The Retail Tea Break. Each week, I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers and makers to decode the myths, share stories and their insights into this industry of ours. So if you enjoy listening to The Retail Tea Break, subscribe to the podcast and share it with others in the industry too. So sit back, grab that cup of tea and listen in. Welcome to The Retail Tea Break. Today I'm joined by a retail expert who started working for a retail agency well over 20 years ago. He said his first exposure of the industry had him hooked. His work has included the design and implementation of retail stores, working with brands such as Lego, Coca-Cola and Estee Lauder. Ian Scott, welcome to the Retail Tea Break. Thank you for having me, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so excited about this conversation this afternoon, Ian, to kind of bring the focus back to the physical store. I suppose over the last few years, obviously, with everything that's gone on, the focus seems to have gone to online. So I'm really giddy to talk about a subject that I am really passionate about, as I know you are. So before we kick off, in the time it takes to boil a kettle, which yes. I believe is about two minutes, yes. tell us a bit about yourself and the business. Okay, so I run a business which is... A little bit of a wrong seal it's called ian scott retail consulting so it sort of does what it says on the tin um it is suitably vague to allow me to move into different areas of retail but primarily the things that interest me are physical like you um, and i get involved in a lot of looking at trends and retails and innovations and i do that mostly by going out to visit stores so i sort of travel all around the country and in a previous role i was lucky enough to travel around the world and visit stores as well um, and that all started on LinkedIn where I used to just post something I found interesting uh, while I was doing a job in retail. And it's sort of grown now as a consultant into being my actual job. So I work with a lot of brands advising them on how to develop ideas, how to innovate them, how to look from a customer perspective. And I also publish regular monthly reports on specific areas of retail for people for insights as well. It's amazing. It sounds like the dream job in some respects. I'm sure you've seen it all over the, the last few years, but I suppose specifically looking at the last two and everything that's gone on through the lockdowns, through, I suppose, stores losing staff to other industries while they were closed, to the very fact now that we have such a recruitment issue within the industry. We've obviously got mass logistical issues still ongoing. When it comes to physical retail, what are you seeing out there right now? Well, it's had a battering, as we know. You know, when the government forces retailers to close their shops, it puts them in a very difficult situation. Um, and I got a little bit frustrated with particularly the national media talking about physical retail is dead. Yeah. Um, I found some statistics that sort of put it in perspective. I found one report that stated that before COVID, um, across all categories globally, 83% of retail sales were happening in a physical store. And now it's 75%. So I don't know any other industry where you'd say a channel is on its knees when it has 75% market share. And now it has dropped. We've seen lots of stores close. Uh, we've seen lots of brands go out of business. But we're still seeing a lot of activity going on. You know, I, I did a little presentation about three months ago 
and I spent 10 minutes on Google finding companies that were opening. And I had about 15 examples to layer on the screen. You know, Lego are opening 200 stores in China. You know, Apple opened a brand new, amazing floating flagship in Singapore Harbor. Uh, Nike have launched two new store formats, completely new formats during, during, uh, since COVID hit. And we're seeing now that the physical space is more accessible because landlords are more flexible. So they are offering better deals. They're offering rent free periods they're offering turnover based rent so if you have a bad month you pay less rent um and i met for example bronson cycles you know the folding bike company and i had a look around their new store in covent garden a few months ago and their retail director said we wouldn't have been able to afford this store which is three times bigger than the one they used to have down the road before covid because the landlords are more flexible so what we're seeing is progressive brands are expanding and investing because it's cheaper now than it was we're seeing a lot of startups dtc brands testing the water you know with with new ideas i was even in blue water seeing a, a startup dtc brand that's taking space in blue water so what we're seeing is the opportunity now to utilize physical um, in, in more experimental ways and more expansive ways. Um, and we see, you know, that the biggest online brands, you think of Amazon, are opening their Amazon Fresh. There are 15 of those stores. They bought Whole Foods. They've opened a hair salon, the, the four-star stores. So they're investing in physical because they do understand a physical touch point is good for brands. And we're seeing one of the darlings of the online world, Gymshark, opening yes. their first store in Regent Street. 30,000 square feet, uh, you know, experiential space that will be opening soon. So, you know, a lot of the clever brands understand that a mix of all activities makes a difference. Physical won't disappear. And I I liken the growth of online a little bit like when Sky TV appeared and everyone thought, oh, BBC and ITV are going to disappear. No, there's just a few more options and it all settles. And online hasn't settled yet. It's still growing to its natural level. So we're, we're seeing it expand. We've had this acceleration due to COVID. But now a lot of reports are coming out that are so narrow minded and short sighted. Go, oh, the growth of online is dropping. What's going on? I go, well, because the shops have reopened and some people are going back to shops. And some of this is blindingly obvious stuff. You know, and you even have people like McKinsey writing reports going, oh, physical store sales have, have dropped. And I go, yes, the government closed the stores. Why do you not see this? And then people are suddenly talking about, oh, we've got so many more stores opening this year than last year. And I go, yeah, we're in recovery mode. You know, oh, there's more physical sales this time than last year. Last year, we couldn't go in the shops. Of course, the sales are more. I say, you've got to go back two years. Your benchmark is pre-COVID. Everything during COVID is just turned on its head because you had lockdowns, you had controls, you had scares, you had new variants coming through. So every couple of months, the activity was skewed by either fear or legislation. So now, fingers crossed, we're out of the legislative controls until the next variant comes along and we're back in lockdown. You know, but but we, we're going to get the settling of activity. And... A few more people will be online because they're going to be online anyway. Another layer of a few percent will be there who have been exposed to online that they didn't before and they want to use it. But, you know, we always exaggerate change. You know, you look at Back to the Future, according to them, 2015, we're on hoverboards. You know, we always exaggerate the rate of change and history has shown that things will change. But what I love now is physical retail 
has a bigger role. You know, we always used to end the customer journey in the shop where we took the product, put it in our bag. And then, as we say, 75% of retail sales still do that. But what we're finding now is the store can contribute at the start of journeys that may finish when you're sat on the sofa with your phone in the hand, placing the order on the app, you know, while you're watching EastEnders. And yeah. the way you're talking about it, it's okay. And again, I think it comes back to the media or it comes back to people maybe just not understanding the industry the two things sit together they yes. don't argue with each other they're not competing with each other it just makes it more exciting and accessible for the customer exactly and, and i call it symbiotic retail i mean marketing people call it omni-channel and i i hate the phrase because it's misleading yep. and it's not customers don't talk omni-channel you know i, I have a, a slide on one of my presentations and i have things like um television, uh, websites, apps, stores, exhibition stands, email, and you plot a, a journey, you can take any journey. And I use one for an example where someone sees uh, uh, an actress at the Oscars and they like the dress. So they go on the brand's website, they go into the store to try and they order, it gets delivered, then there's feedback, then you post a picture on Instagram, and then you get an email from the brand to tell you about offers. And you look, the journey flits across seven different channels and the customer, doesn't even think about channels they're just accessing the brand you know and I, I just keep saying you need to make every channel consistent same message same tone of voice same availability same price same offer and the customer will flit across them all and it doesn't matter but they all work and this is why I call it symbiotic retail the store has to help online you know you look at the beauty brand Sephora um, and they gear everything around the mobile phone because mm. they things like Instagram and YouTube and Facebook will start journeys. But then they have technology on their phone that's also available in store. But they've also noticed that when they open a new physical store in a new city, the web traffic in that city increases as well. It's driven by the store. And they've been doing this for years. And, and it's a great example of how a brand understands how their customer wants to utilize everything so the store is part of this bigger ecosystem uh, and the clever brands do it brilliantly and they create amazing stores that are fun and and it helps when you're the brand that owns the store you know I, I like it. I was talking to the lady that runs Nike a few years ago Nike Town in London and she says I don't care if someone comes in and spends two hours with me uh, we're trying on football boots and we're having a workout in the cage and they stand in front of me and buy them on Amazon. I don't care because I facilitated the sale. And I said to her, that's great for you. I'm not sure Sports Direct or JD Sport would feel the same because they need you to buy from them. So for them, the wholesalers, the challenge is how are you delivering an experience that makes your offer unique? I've been reading, you know, Fort Locker are talking about how their sales are dropping because the DTC growth of Nike means that more people are buying from Nike and less from them. And my response is, and they're a strategic partner with Nike. You know, there's no fallout between them. It's just that more people are going direct. I said, well, you've got to make Foot Locker unique. And so this is one of the challenges that physical stores can really help is create an experience around your offer, irrespective of what the brand is, so that people want to come to you to buy it. And a great example of a brand that does that well is Selfridges. You know, you can buy a, friend, a, friend, a really clever guy called Richard Hammond runs a company called Uncrowd said this, and it always stuck with me because you can buy everything in Selfridges cheaper somewhere else because Selfridges is not about offering the cheapest price. But you go to Selfridges because the experience of Selfridges 
makes you want to go there and walk around proudly with the yellow bag afterwards. Now, I know that's premium luxury end, but the principle applies to anyone that can apply to Aldi and Primark as much as it applies to Selfridge. It's about that thinking of how do you deliver a unique angle? Otherwise, why bother doing retail at all? Just pack up and let Amazon and the DTC brands do it all. So that's the challenge. And that's really well put, because I have to say, when you said about standing in someone else's shop, having tried on a pair of trainers or a pair of jeans and buying from someone else, my heart stopped. But you're 100% right. Without the amazing experience, without a reason or a call to action to physically make that customer buy bear and then, what's the point? What is the point? So I do love that kind of analogy of using Selfridges or one of those bigger, beautiful stores because it is a destination. Like it yes. made me feel good when you said Selfridges. You you love that looking around, literally seeing the bright lights, the clean, massive windows outside, going through the store, looking at all the pretty things. And yeah, at the end of the day, you want to leave with a bag because it makes you mm -hmm. feel good. That, in that respect, sounds to me like actually you don't have to be a great big retailer or a great big brand to do this. It is accessible to the average everyday independent on the high street or the main street out there, isn't it? It is because it's a principle and a thinking that starts that. How you budget for it is different. I mean, Nike do it brilliantly as well. Uh, and, and a lot of I'll often showcase Nike and, and use them as a case study. But the principle of Nike is not going to the House of Innovation store and seeing the 15 meter high uh, screen that runs up four floors. Yeah, that's wow. And that's great. But the difference with Nike is they understand their customers and they pivot everything they do. They're a big brand with big budgets so they can apply a sense of wow. But behind the wow and the theater is great understanding of customers, knowing how to engage them and delivering something that makes them want to come back. That is a scalable attitude. It's more attitude than anything else is think like that. You know, there's a wonderful store on Regent Street called Bottle Top, and it's a little Brazilian business, and it's a tiny store. It's about the size of a lounge, um, and they're very much into recycling. And they use um, can ring pulls to create bags and accessories. You have oh, this wonderful wow. sort of chain mail effect when they use it. But they're very eco-conscious. The whole ceiling is aluminium cans, and it's like a wave of cans on the ceiling. And the walls are made out of recycled um, uh, 3D printed plastic. So there's these wonderful panels with ribs and they've got these little nodules that come out and they hang the bags on them. And then they have a projector that tells the story of how they do things. Um, and the floor's made out of recycled plastic and they were selling bracelets that used metal that was made out of amnesty guns that had been melted down. And the whole mm. store, but you look at the store and it is very simple and understated. It didn't cost millions to do it, but the story and the proposition is so compelling that you go away going wow and I, and I use it on my retail safari when I take people around London and it's one of the stop one of the stores that's most memorable because the power of how they did it and it's probably from a shop fit point of view the cheapest store that I'll show them on the tour so you you can do it you know without spending millions certainly it sounds wonderful and again it comes back to understanding the customer and telling a story which is so simple and isn't costing you money so that's all the good stuff and I suppose from a learning perspective not to bash people what have you seen out there that isn't right right now where are people going wrong okay um I think I think oh, it's, an, it's an interesting question in that 
some people are still limiting the way people can use space. And I think that there's, there's a number that have not evolved, um, certainly through COVID. And, and I think about particularly things like grocery and DIY, where I felt they had a massive opportunity to make gains because during lockdown, you could still go to grocery stores. Um, and they had a massive uplift in online sales. They weren't geared for it, and none of us were, but the way they didn't pivot as much as they should in, in the way that they dealt with that. And what they're finding now is a lot of that online is dropping, and we've got that crazy world of 10-minute delivery, which is absolutely nonsensical. You know, as I, I call it, an answer to it. It's a solution to a question that was never asked. Uh, no one's making money doing that. But DIY was one that I found quite interesting because during lockdown, you were allowed to shop certain categories that were deemed essential. Um, and what they had were a lot of people coming into the store that either weren't normally going in the store or shopping different categories. And you had that wonderful scenario. You can imagine this, you know, the first lockdown was all these wives turning around to the husbands going, you can go and paint that garden fence now you've been promising <laughs> to do for years. And you, I, mean, I just moved, I moved house two weeks before the first lockdown. So I was trying to get paint because I wanted to decorate. And you went and the paint category was empty. Everything was sold out apart from the obscure lime green that no one wanted, you know. And the staff were going, it's crazy. And they're going, well, you've suddenly got all these people coming into the store. Okay. And, and both Gracie and DIY had a bump in sales because people were, you were buying more food because you couldn't eat out yeah. and you were doing decorating because you were stuck at home. So they had this huge growth that was always going to be temporary. It was a blip. It was COVID related activity. Um, but I like that was the time to surprise and delight your customers. You know, and you're earning more money because of the increase. So you could have taken that money, invested in your stores. Imagine the number of people that went into B&Q to get a load of non-drip gloss white to do the skirting boards and going, oh my God, I didn't realize they sold rugs and lampshades. So why don't you make the, the rugs and the lampshades really interesting and push these other categories? You could have then had a big uplift in sales. And what's happened is now they're all going, oh, our sales are down this year. I go, yeah, because all those people that went in to buy the paint are back at work and they're no longer shopping with you. So why didn't you take the money, the extra money you were earning and spend it in, in creating wonderful experiences in store, pushing the categories that people weren't aware of so that you have an ongoing uplifting activity. So I think those two particular categories had certain opportunities because people were driven towards them in a unique way. And it doesn't feel like they've capitalized on that. So I think they're, they're one area that, that, that could have done better. And it's really disappointing when you say, we know our DIY stores for DIY stuff and paint. I have to say, it's probably all I'd buy. But yeah, if someone told me I could actually buy all the soft furnishings and mm. all the nice stuff, and have it delivered to my door? Yeah. Of course you would. That's absolutely where you would have gone. You would have easily have bought and then rebought and had the longevity there with your customers. So it's interesting to hear you talk about those two categories because again, we all realize that that's where we spent our money, but how many of us are still spending our money in those categories now when we can go out to eat, when we don't have to look at our four walls anymore? It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Um, Moving, I suppose, from the categories that haven't really used the last few years to their advantage, if you could write a checklist today, someone opening a new store today, um, what would it look like? What would you tell them to do or not do? Um, first of all, understand your customer. Who, who are you trying to sell to? Why? Um, then you need to sort of think about how can I present an idea or an experience or a product 
that is different to other people you know the classic usp from a sales point of view you you need to understand how you're going to differentiate otherwise the only way you differentiate is by being cheaper and that's a race to the bottom um and then think how, how else does your customer want to find and engage you I, I always say is you know with any brand is understand how your customer wants to find you learn about you engage and buy from you and then you start from that as an end point as a sense check and work back you know, you have these companies going, oh, I want to put screens in my store. And I'm going, okay, why? You know, does that help your customer? Does it tick the boxes of that journey that you should know about your customer? If not, it's mostly an ego trip for the CEO to show off to his mates at the golf club on Sunday. You know, I've had conversations with companies that want to spend a million pounds putting screens. And I go, what are you going to put on the screens? Well, I don't know, the TV ad? And wow. you go, that's the tail wagging the dog. So, so I have a real issue, particularly with technology, because there is so much technology out there. If that technology does not facilitate or improve the customer journey, then don't do it. You know, I, 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 one of my favorite stores is Lush. Okay, they are fabulous retail. They have a strong ethical background, but their stores are an absolute dream. And I, I've been lucky to interact with them a bit and look around stores uh, and get tours. Um, and, and smell and, the stores that's and smell always the, stores. the first thing I think of when I think of Lush yeah they are it's very distinctive smell uh the, they have the best staff in the world hands down any brand I've been to their stores in North America Asia Europe and all of the staff are brilliant uh they're fantastic people but what I describe their stores wonderfully analog now they are introducing a few screens now and I'll let them off but you went into that store they did not rely on technology uh, what they relied on was really interesting product, strong ethical story, great people, superb merchandising, brilliant communication. Um, and you walk around and it's a browsing delight. You know, I took senior directors from Nestle around the Oxford Street store in Lush a few years back. And I remember they came in and they were just like, I can't even merchandise food like this. And I want to eat that soap. Uh, and they were there for 45 minutes. Uh, and they were just like, oh my gosh, there's soap in a, in a bowl, in a bed of ice, you know? And they says, I'm not even allowed to show coffee beans because someone might choke on them if they eat them, you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, you get that sense of really curating the product, making the experience great. You know, the way they merchandise is a lot of the product is similar shape and size. And you go into places like I don't know, home bargains uh, and stores like that where they have this issue. But what what um, Lush does is they'll merchandise differently. Each, they'll units at different angles. So there's not a straight sight line of racking. Uh, they'll use different materials and there'll be signage and they'll, that'll have a bed of ice. And then that one will have a sink. And then this one will have a hanging sign. And that one's got a curtain that draws around. And, and you look around and you just go, I want to look at all of it. And I can differentiate one from another because it's it's segmented visually in a way that I can see that's different to that. And you just see these wonderful things. And, and it's an analog store. You know, they and it's don't really interesting, even the way you're describing it there. It's a physical store, like yeah. literally the way you're describing it there. It is physical. As you said, it's not straight lines. There are things to walk around. There are things to almost bend over. There are things to just get out of the way of. It's yeah. just, it sounds your description and even the way I suppose you're, you're moving your arms there, your physicality makes me feel like it is a very physical store that I can almost interact with. And what I like is they are evolving as well. You know, they've, they've had the, the traditional format for a number of years. And then uh, three years ago, I managed to go to Tokyo and they had two stores in Harajuku and Shinjuku. Um, and out there, there's a lot more 
activity with the phone. We think we use our phones a lot. We're rank amateurs compared to the Asians. And um, what I loved was they they had a, it was an acrylic uh, pigeonhole display for for the bath bombs that's back illuminated. But then they had an app and you could scan QR codes um, and learn about the products. And it was absolutely right. Certainly in Harajuku is the cool, trendy, young part of Tokyo. And um, so they had this store and it was absolutely right and they loved it. Now they started to introduce that over here. Um, and then also they had a Yosushi style conveyor belt for the bath bombs. That's now appearing here. And then in Liverpool, I think two years ago, they opened a, a store in Liverpool and the brief from Mark Constantine, the CEO of Lush, was a photograph of a 1950s department store. And there was a bit of dark wood panelling, some stairs and a plant like a palm tree. And that was his brief to the design team. And so you go into the Liverpool store and there's a panelling and there's, there's plants and they actually sell flowers in there, which is a new offer. Uh, parts of that have come in and they, they run have spa rooms there. And there's a spa room in, in um, the store in London and they were selling flowers, I think, in Paris or Milan. And they're now selling. So you go in and you see that Oxford Street is an amalgamation of new ideas. And in Leicester, a couple of weeks ago, where I live, they just launched a small store format which uses some color coding for different categories. And it was great to see that because it's lovely seeing the big global flagships, but you got one of those, whereas you got 500 small stores. So the, the concept for Leicester is wonderful because that can roll out to the other 500 odd stores. And you see that and, and the worktops are all made out of recycled materials that customers have brought back in. And in the, in the Oxford Street store, some of the unitary was from the old shop fit and they took it out, cleaned it up, painted it with water-based paints, put it back in again, you know? So you, you see this whole, they constantly evolve. It's still got lush DNA through it, like a stick of rock, but it's evolving. And, and they're clever with that and that they're not resting on their laurels because the body shop are waking up and trying to regain that position that Anita Roddick gave them. And they lost that to lush. And you go to the Oxford street store where they've got refill stations and an evolving, you know, a very progressive contemporary feel that they haven't had for a while. So no, you can't sit still, you know, everyone loves Lush, but everyone is being sustainable in their category now. So everyone's after them. So it's great. I to love see it. The, it's the true excitement of, of physical retail. It yeah. is exciting. It isn't this boring old layout, have a perimeter, have an aisle up the middle, have a boring little till point and have it flat. Because yeah. everything you've said today has such energy that by the sounds of it, the true the true experience of physical retail has to have energy. There has yeah. to be an excitement. So in that respect, how on earth do you get that customer through the door? If you haven't got the millions, if you're not running a great big flagship store in one of the key cities around the world, what could you do tomorrow to draw people into your store? But I think, again, it comes back to this customer journey bit. I think social media plays a massive part now. You know, I, I do work and research in a lot of different sectors, and, and we're seeing that social media is one of the key drivers. People will either go there to explore, discover, validate, or browse. Uh, and so how do you then connect that through? Simple things like click through on Instagram to the website can start the process. How do you then use the, the physical store to embellish that process. So I would, certain, certain um, sort of categories, it works, works really well because, you know, fashion is great, touch, feel the products, try it on, you know, uh, whereas you have commodities like say a washing machine or a book, once you've got a specification that you're happy with, 
you're seeking price and availability. So yeah. that's that's slightly different. But there are certain areas where physical absolutely adds value. Um, and, you know, the cost of online returns is crippling to, to, to business. I read somewhere that a third of all profits in the fashion sector are lost because of what they call bracketing, where people buy four and return three um, because we expect it for free. So you, I think you could drive activity if you then curate a physical space that really adds a unique element to your offer. And the great thing is if you create a good store, people will talk. This is the power of social media. If they don't like you, you know, look at Putin, just look at Putin right now. Social media universally around the world within hours is condemning him and everyone knows. But likewise, if you do something that's interesting and exciting and good, people talk about that as well. And this is the extension of the storytelling. You tell a good story with your brand and in your store experience, that story ripple effect is people then tell the story to their friends and family because it's really interesting. And you get a great store that creates interest. Like the Ikea store, for example, that's just opened in Hammersmith. Uh, I'm halfway through writing a review of it at the moment, but it's a new format and it's really exciting and people are interested. So the great thing for Ikea is you leverage social media and that does half your advertising and it's free. The challenge is you can't control it, but, but that's down to you to get the proposition right in the first place. So I think you can, and, and there are lots of opportunities to test physical. You know, we, we have wonderful companies like Souk who've come out to the marketplace now, and they are creating stores and you can rent by the hour. So you can decide when's my target audience going to be in this area and you can rent it Tuesday mornings between seven and nine if you want you know and the idea and you know and they actually say to read brands and retailers will rent rent our space on Saturday and Sunday there's no point you're renting it on Tuesday morning because the footfall will be so much really lower. clever yeah and then, and then they've had like yoga teachers renting it between seven and nine in the morning to catch people on the way into work uh, and again you know 11 o'clock in the morning their opportunity is much smaller because people, the 95 people are working. So yeah. it, it's a really nice innovative way because you can test and they've had huge numbers of startups and DTC brands testing out physical for a day or for a week so that they get to know that. So that's a wonderful environment. And then we also have an alternative with a company called Situ Live, which is a wonderful store in the Westfield Shopping Centre in West London, where they showcase brands, but you can't buy them there. So they have the, the whole space is set up with zones. So there's a lounge zone, a bed zone, a kitchen zone, and an office zone. And brands pay to put their products in there and they employ performers and actors to present the stuff. So you have these incredibly engaged, energized people, so excited showing you this stuff. And you walk around and they love it. And then if you like it, there's a QR code and it will take you to a mix of websites and you can choose where you buy it from and it's a wonderful idea and again so a brand could showcase their product in a space like that if it takes off you could then go okay let's try a, a temporary space like souk if and a number of souk people are now opening their own stores i'm constantly reading about brands going we've opened our first store having had a pop-up last year and the pop-up can be a test of the whole proposition a product range a new launch and if it works, so you you can work your way. You don't have to commit to a three year lease with massive overhead to find out if people want to come to your shop now. And do you think that's the future then? That actually gone are the days, as you said, of signing massive leases. That more and more retailers or brands will come onto the market trying these short term solutions just to check if it works, and then kind of grow and 
I suppose, open up more locations knowing what they've done works. Yeah, I, I see that as a real growing area. I mean, pop-up retail has had a big expansion recently and, and yeah. some of that's come through. There's a lot of empty spaces and people are trying to be creative. But we've, we've, we've even seen like luxury brands do it brilliantly. I mean, Gucci had a stunning store in Shoreditch in the run-up to Christmas and I went to it twice and, and they spray-painted the whole outside with their logo. And inside the fit, the fit out was like a permanent premium store on the top floor. They had this wow. beautiful, stunning cafe, hand painted floorboards, wooden paneling plants. And it was beautifully done. And then downstairs was a real wow, eclectic look and feel. And they had little rooms off the side that were listening booths and vinyl records and stuff. And then after two months, they completely refitted the downstairs to showcase a collaboration with Balenciaga. The, the cafe kept the same and it was like and they, this was for two months I love so we, it. <laughs> we see we're seeing the the sophistication of popper it's not just concrete floor a load of rails and a hanging sign in the window now it's more sophisticated and, and souk you know that they, they have a lot of screens in the store and they have a lot of very professional finishes that you can rent and use so it can look very sophisticated while still being modular and easy to use and like I said, the flip side is someone like Gucci and um, Bottega Veneta had one literally around the corner and so did Bang & Olufsen. It was like pop-up central shortage um, at the end of last year. But they were all so highly finished, you wouldn't have known they were pop-ups. They looked like permanent stores. So that's, that's an lovely. interesting direction. It's lovely for the customer as well to have an insight into some of these shops in, a, in an area or a high street that never would have been there before. And yes. again, this is the excitement. This is the surprise and delight that you talk yeah. about. And this is how you draw people properly into the physical store. So a really cheeky question. Mm-hmm. If you could get on a plane or maybe even walk to it, physical store right now, where, where would you go? What's your favourite? Um, my favourite store... The one I really want to go to at the moment is the House of Innovation from Nike in Paris. Now, I got to visit the one in Shanghai and fell in love with it. I've been there twice and it's incredible. I want to see the Paris one because it has a a real strong sustainable angle. So I've seen some brilliant stuff. That's one I haven't seen that's on my to-do list. And the other one, I'll I'll be cheeky and I'll take two. The other one is also in Paris. Sounds like I need a trip to Paris, doesn't it? It It does. um, La Samaritan which is the yes. most stunning department store that LVMH bought yes. 20 odd years ago. They spent 760 million euros fitting it out. Looks I've, amazing. I've seen the pictures um, and I have a LinkedIn friend, a guy called Chris Igwe, who's based in Paris. Uh, and we have this deal that if I come to Paris, he'll take me around for a day. And if he comes to London, I'll take him around for a day. And I really do need to do it because I am itching to go and see both of those stores because I mean, the, the, the Nike one I know, but I just want to see this local iteration. And, and if I'm stupid, I'll take my 15-year-old basketball mad son. It'll cost me a fortune. Uh, but La Samaritan to me is I want to spend a whole day in there with my phone, filling it up with photos, just experiencing one of these. It's old school retail where yeah. it's like no, no, no expense spared, create the most beautiful space, which not many people can afford to do these days. So yeah, oh, it sounds those. gorgeous. Yeah, I think I might need a trip to Paris too because the pictures I've seen just look mesmerizing. So yeah, very special spot, I think. So listen, yeah. finally, Ian, what's coming up for you apart from a trip to Paris in the next <laughs> six months? Where are you off to? What are you looking at next? Um, there's a mix of things. Um, I I I do want to do a bit of international travel now, it's easier. 
much harder when you're a freelance consultant you have to pay for it yourself <laughs> uh, so I'm looking for some clients that might want me to do a, a pan-European store audit which would be fabulous uh, and give me about a year's worth of LinkedIn posts into the bargain um, but I'm doing I'm, I'm developing a lot of monthly subscription services so uh, people are asking me to create reports based on specific areas be it subject matter or technology based or sustainably based so I'm enjoying doing those and that's that's growing really well um, and I'm working with a couple of brands on some exciting projects unfortunately i can't say anything about because i got ndas we'll have to come back next year and hear all about those yes but yeah they're they're, they're nice projects and 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 what's great is uh, that a lot of brands are seeing the benefit of employing independent people who are very very specialized in one area i suppose it works as a consultant because you can buy them when you need them and then stop paying them when you've had enough whereas employing someone it's a longer term commitment so it's nice to, and i'm having some wonderful conversations with people that are responding to my linkedin posts which is which is really nice it makes me feel like the posts are resonating oh it's fantastic and i have to say i love your work i love reading about where you've been what you've seen on linkedin um Oh, an absolute asset to the industry and it's a joy to be able to hear your stories and learn from you as well so listen if you've enjoyed today's podcast please like share and subscribe to the retail tea break connect with myself and ian over on linkedin or even leave us a comment under today's episode telling us about your favorite store and why you love it so much so in the meantime keep an eye on the retail advisor social media for news about the next episode of the retail tea break Thanks for today, Ian. My pleasure. Thanks, Minister.